Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Life in Place podcast. We're recording on May 23rd, 2020. I know this Memorial Day weekend's a little weird. Um, I don't know when you'll hear this, but um, we thought we'd take the opportunity to kind of touch base and see where things stand. Things seem to be finally starting to move at Disney, so uh, we'll talk a little bit about that and some other stuff. Today, we're joined with Alex. Hello. And Kyle. Hello there. And so, um, first, now there's a Disney park that's actually open. Shanghai Disneyland at the Shanghai Disney Resort is open. It's hard to get, you know, information out of China, but uh, they had a little ceremony, which I thought was an interesting choice, and uh, guests started going. Um, Tickets have sold out. They have an option. You can either buy a one-day ticket or a half-day ticket, um, and... Yeah, it's date specific. So you buy a ticket for that specific date and they've been selling out for the most part, as far as I can tell when I check. So it seems to be going well. Uh, did anyone else get any vibes out of China? No, I mean, I, the only day I really paid close attention was when it opened. Um, and I was kind of scouring Twitter and Instagram and I'd found the hashtag in Chinese characters so that I could not, not be limited to just who's sharing posts in English. Um, you know, it was it was a lot of what you had expected. They had put out that really great video highlighting what the park operation would be like. And as far as I can tell from guest posts, it's very much the same. Um, it's it looks like it's great. Like it looks like it would be wonderful to go just as a fellow guest because it seems so wide open. Um, you can kind of stick your arms out and do a Julie Andrews sound of music spin down Mickey Avenue or whatever they call their main street. And, um, the lines look short, which is cool. And I like that they're still running the shows. I think they found a really great solution to still offering character experiences without the actual, you know, up close personal version of it uh, that we're used to, but I like that they have the parade cavalcade. I do think it's weird that they won't tell people when it's coming because no matter when it's coming, people are going to stop and, and, you know, line up along the curbs and they have spaces blocked off, like stand here, don't stand here, stand here, don't stand here going down the curbs. So you would think they would just say, okay, it's this time, this time, this time, and this time. And uh, you can start queuing up, you know, up to 30 minutes before, and once it's full, it's full, because they do that for the other shows. So it seems weird that they wouldn't do it for their cavalcade. But um, other than that, everything looks great, as far as I can tell. You know, what's interesting for me is I, I don't live near a Disney theme park, so, but we go frequently. And this is the first time where there's an operational change is going to happen. Eventually, these the parks in the United States are going to open, just as they have in China. And what Shanghai made me realize is, you know, I can't, I don't have the ability to go to Shanghai Disneyland right now. Even if I wanted to, there's no amount of money that I could get into China and go to Shanghai Disneyland. Right? And it's not so easy or maybe not so smart. I don't, I don't know where things are, but when Walt Disney World opened, which is presumably the first domestic park that opens, I'm insanely curious to know what it feels like to be there. But I don't know that I'm going to get the chance to do that just because, you know, I mean, at least where I'm at, we're not supposed to travel. So um, it's going to be the first sort of like Disney experience that I'm missing. Like I was at the park after 9-11. I know what that felt like. I know what I was at the park, you know, when when other things have happened and there's been operational changes. So it's going to be weird for me to really not have understanding what it feels like to be at the park because I just, you know, I mean, I don't know if I, I'm going to be able to go, let alone if I 
can convince other people that I'm, it's safe for me to go. Uh, I mean, I would, I'm probably as far as the people around me and, and the more, most like throw caution to the wind that I want to go. But, um, I just don't know if I'll have that chance to experience it. The fire marshal capacity of the magic kingdom compared to what Disney considers the capacity in terms of it not being miserable are two different numbers. So you could go 50% of what, the government capacity is and still be pretty full. I don't know how you do it. I mean, it's impossible to do a six feet distancing, you know, just be a miserable experience, which I don't think they want to do, but you know, I don't know uh, how they're going to control it. Yeah. One of the thoughts I have for Disney world specifically, I know after nine 11, some of the resorts closed for a while. I think the longest closure was uh, the Port Orleans French quarter. Um, but it seems highly likely that not all of the 20 plus resorts will come back online when Disney world reopens. I think the one thing that could kind of shift that a little bit is the NBA. uh, This was news from today is in negotiations with Disney to potentially continue the basketball season starting at the end of July exclusively at ESPN's wide world of sports. All of the players would do a two week quarantine um, and then transition to uh, Orlando and be staying presumably in a Disney resort on property um, and kind of self-containing with their, their families. But then that way they know that all the players are risk-free to be in close proximity to each other um, after they've done their, their self quarantines. Um, So that would be interesting to think about like, you know, would they, designate uh beach club as like the nba players resort <laughs> or something like that while while um some of the resorts remain dark that would be an interesting concept cole did a fun piece on our site where it's like what based on of, of a tweet from robin lopez where each team should stay based on a variety of factors mm, maybe they'll use but that that would be funny universal is opening we're reopening without their hotels and I, I can't get the help. I can't get help, but get the feeling that Disney keeps feeling keeps feeling like Universal is forcing their hands. Like originally, you know, they said, "Okay, we're going to be open to you know we're closed till the end of March." Well, then they extend Universal extended and said they're going to keep paying people till like the second week of April or third week of April. So that meant Disney had kind of followed suit, but then they're like, "Okay, you know, we're not going past that." And then now I get the sense that Disney. While they're reopening Disney Springs, um, they opened it later than City Walk. I feel like Disney isn't super um, ready to open their stuff as fast as Universal wants. June fifth, you know, just the dates that you're seeing Disney talk about just seems a lot further out in the future. Now, if you're just doing locals as a way to kind of get acclimated, that's one thing, but um, you know, I, I, I'm really curious to see when Disney presents supposedly next week, what their plans are. Yeah. Alex, no, I mean, I, I, I do think it's kind of funny that dichotomy of, of universal kind of shifting, you know, usually Disney's the leader in these kinds of things, but universal has, um, for the most part, been first with a lot of their announcements and a lot of their plans. Um, I mean, it'll be interesting, you know, by the time this podcast airs, uh, it'll be close to when Disney supposedly presents their plan um, to Orange County. But, you know, I mean, there have been talks of 
potentially not bringing all of the parks back online from Disney. And I know Universal sent out a survey that proposed that question. Um, you know, would you come if it was just Universal Studios Park and Islands of Adventure wasn't open? Is that in their plan? I haven't looked at any of their details. No, it looks like both parks are open. Both parks are open. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I could totally see Disney, you know, depending on how many people they're expecting to come doing even like a schedule throughout the week. Like it might be that Epcot is only open four days of the week. Animal Kingdom might only be open three days of the week, you know, doing something like that to try and spread out um, the cost just because, you know, it costs so much to operate the theme parks and the revenue is going to be down for a very long time. I've also heard, I mean, you know, you mentioned Universal's opening and not opening any of their, hotels on property so that's the hard rock and uh portofino and um the new 50s 60s themed one but um you know for for disney it's like can disney survive with just local floridians going to me disney is so huge it needs people traveling and whether that's you know road trips from everyone on the east coast or not i know the governor of of florida um has like strict policies if someone comes to the state from New York, New York city specifically, um, you know, that they're basically like told to go quarantine that they can't go anywhere. So it's interesting. I think it's going to be interesting to see what the consumers do. Like, are people going to want to go? How much demand is there going to be? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I I don't think they're going to open all four parks at once. I mean, I, I, I could be wrong, especially if Epcot being problematic because of the international part of it. So, you know, maybe it just makes sense just to let that park do some of its construction work and, you know, open with, let's say, Magic Kingdom and Studios or Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom or Animal Kingdom and Studios, whatever. Because, um, yeah, I mean, there's you're going to need visitation. But, I mean, just pe- speaking for myself, if I was local, if I lived in Orlando and the park's open tomorrow, with the procedures they have, I'd have no problem going. Right now, the concern is is getting to Orlando, mm-hmm. since I'm not in Orlando. So I'd have to go to the airport, get on a plane. Um, if you lived in like a five-state driving distance from Florida, do you think you would feel comfortable taking a road trip, going down, staying in a hotel, and visiting the parks? I think so. I mean, I'm I'm trying to think like I mean, I'm driving distance from Disneyland. Right. So would I be comfortable going there? Right. That's I mean, I, that's the equivalent for us. We're just 6 hours from Disneyland, but like, you know, someone who's in North Carolina, they're still within a day's driving distance. Even I mean, I grew up in Wisconsin. That was a 21-hour drive and we would sometimes do it without stopping for the night because we had enough adult drivers to swap around. So, like, I can even think if I'm as far as Wisconsin from Florida, you know, I, I my my biggest concern, I think, would be getting on an airplane, not getting on a roller coaster, whether that's stupid you know, or and not. I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> and, I mean, honestly, for me, I'm not even super concerned about getting on the airplane just because my risk is low and I feel like, you know, it's the prevalence has gotten a lot lower. And I was basically where the cases are, where they are today. I was, we were gallivanting all over the country before. Um, but I'm also concerned about the infrastructure to get there. Hertz just declared bankruptcy. Am I going to be able to rent a car 
Am I going to be, you know, is the airport going to be functioning at a point where it's not miserable to go through? Is, you know, uh, is the support that I'm going to ha- need to have as a tourist going to be there? And, you know, I mean, it's things like dog sitting. Like, you know, is the dog sitter going to be willing to come into our home? Uh, I, and I, I don't know when the right moment is. Things have moved so fast. I feel like everything shut down super fast and then everything seems to be coming back a lot faster than I thought three weeks ago. And things seems to be changing on a day-to-day basis that I just don't, um, you know, I don't know. I don't, you know, I obviously even at this point, June 5th is like, you know, seems like eons away. Who knows what the situation is going to look like. And also there's a possibility that as these things start to open up, that the cases go up and they have to clamp down again. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't even I don't even want to call that an outside possibility. That's a real possibility. Don't know the percentage. I mean, I'm not a scientist, but you know, just based on life. Yeah, I know. Just with like restaurants reopening, a lot of medical professionals have been weighing in and saying, you know, there's a huge risk of somebody being asymptomatic, being you know, a tables two tables distance away from you, and laughing, and that puts their vapor from their mouth into the air and then you breathe that in and so even though they have no reason to believe that they should be you know staying home or quarantining um that that infects you and then you leave that restaurant and then you know the ripple effects of everyone who comes in after that they can wipe down the surfaces all they want but you know there's particles spit particles that are staying in the air i think they've said for up to six hours um in some cases depending on the ventilation so you know there's Things like that where, you know, just in your own local community, the risk that you face going out and living your life, you know, in any way like what you used to. Um, And then you think of going into Cosmic Rays, the busiest restaurant in the world at one point in time, (laughs) Um, and getting a burger if they have beef. Kyle, you got anything on this? Not really. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's definitely going to be interesting to see because the other thing I forgot to mention about the difference between the domestic parks in Shanghai is that they have, I don't exactly know how it works, but those health QR codes that pretty much show that they've been cleared and been tested and anything. And that doesn't seem like something that we're going to be able to do over here just, you know, culturally. So uh, I think that's also a, a factor. Yeah. And it was, I, w- I was watching the Disney Springs opening and the comments on that. And then I was listening to the Orange County Economic Recovery Task Force, and I don't want to get into debates about what to do, you know, what's the appropriate measures to have. But it seems like people are really struggling about how much um, they're willing to put up with. And, you know, I mean, we're a country based on freedom, so people, you know, it's a touchy subject. But, you know, I, I mean, the thought of taking a guest temperature six months ago had been ridiculous because of just, you know, violating their health situation or, you know, asking guests to wear masks. Uh, you know, I'm not saying it's a bad idea, but we wouldn't, you know, you couldn't conceive of that six months ago. I mean, you barely can enforce a guest to wear a t-shirt that doesn't say a bad word on it. I, I think the hardest part for a company like Disney is to evaluate two things. One, you know, what's their risk on this? What's the risk, you know, they become the center of an outbreak? I mean, we all remember the measles uh, issue. But then also, 
how can they gauge consumer behavior and consumer thought? Like, you know, do guess do they need a do are do forget about what's right medically, but wearing masks is that going to upset more guests or is that going to encourage more guests? And I I don't know the answer. I don't think Disney knows the answer. Yeah, I mean the mask thing. I mean Disney's not the only one facing this. I remember when the Disney Parks blog post came out about you know what the requirements are to visit Disney Springs and having a face covering is part of it. That's the term that. Disney uses. But just shortly after that, you know, Costco went viral for this video. And it's this guy on a, on a wheelchair cart, like one of the ECV carts. And he's got a cart full of like paper towel and toilet paper and an employee, he pulled out his phone and started recording because this employee is basically standing in front of his cart telling him he can't go any further unless he puts his mask on. And he's saying, well, I live in a free country. And he's like, well, you've just gotten yourself banned from Costco. Um, you know, and it went viral. But, you know, all the people who don't feel like they have to put on a mask to protect others, let alone themselves, you know, it's, it's like no shoot, no shoes, no shirt, no shoes, no service. You know, it's, it's now no shirt, no shoes, no face covering, no service. (laughs) Well, and there's a big difference between public space and private property. Mm -hmm. You know, no, no one's entitled to visit Disney World. Right. You know, you, it's, it's, you, you can go there if you follow the rules set by the people that own the place. And so it's different if I go to a public park. I can see where that line needs to be different. You don't have to go to Disney World. It's not your right to go to Disney World. And it's Disney's right. I mean, as long as it's not based on, you know, uh, you know, your race or something like that or disability, it's your, it's your, it's their rules. They could say, we don't want anyone who's not wearing green pants to come in today. That's perfectly acceptable. And, you know, cause they have rights as well, but, um, it doesn't mean it's not touchy subject, but anyway, I don't want to belabor that point. Um, kind of in the midst of all of this, there's a, I don't want to say a reorg, but a big executive change. Um, if you, on our YouTube, you can see uh, Jeremiah, Mike, me, myself, and Rebecca Mosley kind of chat through it. But basically, Ken, I'm sorry, Kevin Mayer is leaving Disney to go, uh, speaking in China, to run TikTok. Taking his place is Rebecca Campbell, who had a brief stint as president of Disney Resort, but also worked at uh, led the ABC-owned television group, was in Europe for a while, leading Disney's businesses over there, not including the park. Um, so she took that spot. There, Josh Tomorrow, who was president of Walt Disney World briefly, is now uh, taking Bob Chapek's role as head of Disney Parks Experiences and Products. Uh, taking his spot at Disney World is um, Jeff Volley, who... Uh, oversees all of Disney's facilities, as well as he was in charge of Disney's signature experiences, which is basically everything else. So like Cruise Line, Disney Vacation Club, Adventures by Disney, Alani, that kind of stuff. Um, he is moving over there, taking his spot at Disney signature experiences is Tom Maslam, who you may, if you are watching Orange County Economic Recovery Task Force, meetings like I am, uh, is Disney's representative to that. So he's taking over signature experiences where he his 
his bread and butter as a career has always has seemed to be cruise line. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, then over at Disneyland, Ken Potrock is uh, coming over to lead Disneyland. Uh, he was in, recently in charge of like the consumer products part of Disney Parks experiences and products, but he w- had tours in uh, Disney Vacation Club, Disney Sports Complex, Disney Springs. Um, I've, he's he's been around a while, and then Kareem Daniel is now in charge of games, products, and um, publishing, kind of separating out where from Imagineering, which will still be led by Bob Weiss. So lots going on. I think sort of Ken, I think they didn't need to make Josh head of Disney parks experiences and products because they feel like Bob Chapek probably still in that every day. But I think when Kevin Mayer left, it kind of just, they, they just needed to have, you know, fill out this organizational structure and uh, the dominoes fell. And this is not um, unusual. I remember when Bob Iger became head of Disney, um, in 2005, there was a lot of movement there too. At the same time, and it seems like people were in their jobs very briefly because they would get moved to some place, the dominoes will fall, and then they get moved again. And it it just seems like uh, it's not uncommon. Not a major reorg, except that some things that were under Kevin Mayer are now moving under Peter Rice, who runs um, and Peter Rice and Jim Pitaro at the Media Networks Group. So things like ad sales and distribution, which were part of DTCI, Director of Consumer International, are back with television, which is what they were before Kevin Mayer kind of created this job for himself, which I think kind of makes more sense. It allows them to focus on the streaming delivery and streaming product as opposed to ad sales because, you know, there's no ads on Disney Plus and the ads are on the television side. So it's just a little different. So I know it's a little it's a little wonky, it's a little, you know, deep in the weeds. Not many people pay attention to executive shuffles, but I will say, you know, as someone who follows this company, I think it's and you want to know what's going to happen, it's good to know who's leading it because that's a lot of times will provide insight as to where the organization is going. Everyone loves Josh, uh so very cast focused. So I think I think all around, I can't think of any moves here that I disapprove of. Alex um, yeah, I mean, it, it all looks great to me. I think Josh DeMauro and Rebecca Campbell were the two who probably were the most high profile, at least for me. They were the, the only two names that I was really familiar with in any real way. Um, but I, you know, I think everyone is excited about Josh DeMauro. Um, he hasn't had any missteps. A lot of people think he's very handsome, which doesn't hurt. And uh, Rebecca Campbell, I mean, you know, it seems a little unusual for her part time to be so short. Um, but then again, like you mentioned, a lot of her career has been more on the media side of things. So to have her taking over uh, DTCI, um, you know, is kind of exciting. It's it's weird to have, you know, the man in charge of the umbrella that covers Disney plus leave so quickly, but also there've been, you know, as we've addressed in past episodes, some issues with Disney plus or some things that could be done better. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, I don't know how, what your track record is for improving efficiency or things like that. You might be better able to speak to it, but it'd be interesting to see what kind of changes happen on the streaming networks as a result. Well, I think she is coming from the ABC stations. You know, it's a, it's not a glamorous job at Disney. Because it's not a core business. They exist, but, you know, how many times do, do you care? Because it's, it's, 
it's just not it's not like Fox where broadcast is a huge part of their portfolio. I think we're they're down to seven or eight stations now. But she ran them really well. Like she's known as a good operator. And she ran Disneyland pretty well. I mean, I know she was there very briefly. But I think Kevin gets too much credit for the successful launch of Disney Plus. I feel like Disney Plus, unless it was, you know, it didn't work at all, was going to be successful. I mean, no one's subscribing to Disney Plus because any decisions Kevin Mayer made, you know, he didn't make The Mandalorian. He didn't, uh, you know, create Disney as a company. So I feel like he's getting super a lot of credit, you know, and he's getting TikTok when the stuff that he actually controls, you know, the publicity, the actual distribution and communication, all those things have been subpar. Even just the launch of it was kind of a mess. I mean, if you remember the first day, a lot of people signed up, but they didn't sign up because Kevin Mayer, they signed up because they want to watch Disney on TV. You know, they want to stream the stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping she can bring some sort of structure where there's a plan. You know, I even look at Disney Plus now, and it's not fair to say, you know, I know there's production shutdowns and everyone's kind of starving for content. But after The Mandalorian happened, it just seemed like they were like, oh, crud, like, there's another 46 weeks of the year. And I feel like they were slow out of the gate to green light stuff. I mean, I, there was even an article in Variety talking about how, like, they need, Disney Plus isn't even giving notes anymore. Like, as Bob Iger says, it's not your job to make the stuff. It's your job to, you know, figure out what needs to be there and when to roll it out. And I, I don't disagree with that. It just seems like, you know, how many good projects, how many exciting projects on Disney Plus you know, they're being developed for Disney Plus. They just seem to get caught off on the wait side. We're just getting development struggles. And, you know, I mean, the, the Lizzie McGuire thing is kind of frozen in time. Love Victor got moved to Hulu because, you know, they didn't seem to have a handle on how to do that in a Disney Plus friendly way. Um, so did High the, Fidelity. High Fidelity, like, same thing. And it's just what you're hearing on the street is that, you know, Disney Plus is getting in its own way. And I think it's uh, probably a good idea to have someone who can kind of whip it into shape a little bit. Mm-hmm. Kyle? Well, I think you guys hit on a lot of the stuff I was going to say about Josh, but I, I'm now interested to see if uh, Pot Rock and Valet, do they get their Instagram posting schedules ahead of time? Um, do they already have like a queue of things that they're going to go reshoot stuff from from Josh and Rebecca? Um, or maybe they're going to redo, like, you know, pay homage to some of their posts already. Um, I wonder how that works. Well, you know, Jeff Jeff already has uh, an Instagram. Well, I know, um, but now he's got a. I mean, they like Rebecca and Josh were on such a schedule that they'd post within hours of each other. Like, oh, we gotta go do something today. Right. So, yeah. I, so I wonder what that. It, especially especially when the parks closed. Yeah. Like it felt like they were all going to say, "Today's the day we're going to share an inspirational message." Yeah. So <laughs> we literally write but, an article one after another. Be like, oh, Josh tomorrow shares an inspirational tale about. Uh, I forget what it was. And then Rebecca Campbell looks at Walt. So, oh, you know, I look at this apartment and I think about how we're going to get through this because Walt is what? I don't know. Well, well, you know, this Instagram thing was driven by Josh. He started it when he was at Disneyland, right? And his big sort of way to get attention was when they announced Runaway Railway through his Instagram. And so now that he's the boss, I think, you know, whether he means it or not, it's implied that it's something that's now expected. 
So I look forward to Ken Potrock signing up on Instagram. I'm sure it's just days away. Well, Chapex still <laughs> doesn't have a Twitter, as I learned when we got this covered, said that the CEO of Disney had changed their banner, Twitter banner to include Deadpool. And I found out that the CEO of Disney doesn't have a Twitter. So that was disappointing. Right. The, uh, although I would say the CEO of Disney didn't have a Wikipedia page when he was first named CEO. So does he now? Yeah. Okay. Phew. Are we cited on it? Cause I feel we made that happen. <laughs> I feel like we did too. Obviously everything is weird right now and television is super weird right now, but Disney slash ABC still has to sort of plan for the future. So normally there's a big upfront presentation and we're not plan for the future as it seems. Well, so the, the upfront is like, you know, last year they kind of combined everything. It was ESPN, National Geographic, FX, all this stuff combined to one major sexy 18 hour upfront presentation. And um, this year they're, they're not doing that because they can't get all those people together. So supposedly next week they're going to do a road show where they're going to take people to various places and kind of just do it. I don't know, whip out a computer and show um, Jimmy Kimmel making fun of ABC. But um, they did. Uh, they just ABC. put out a press release and it was so nice. We didn't have to like monitor a deadline for a day and a half and write 20 articles. <laughs> They canceled the show. They canceled the show. They canceled the show. So let's. I'm gonna. Um, they, I'm gonna go through what they what has what they've renewed and what they canceled, and then we'll go through um, the show. Renewed in that, total or renewed during this sweep? I, I'm. I was just gonna kind of go through the list of everything. Okay. Because um, for one reason, that's what I have in front of me, but also, I you know I, I don't think it really matters if you know they renewed it two months ago. So, Dancing with the Stars, uh, fresh off, I'm sorry, Dancing with the Stars, Grey's Anatomy, Mixed-ish, Station 19, Stumptown, The Bachelor, The Connors, The Goldbergs, The Good Doctor, The Rookie, and Who Wants to Be a Millionaire with Jimmy Kimmel have all been renewed. Canceled is Emergence, Kids Say the Darndest Things, Schooled, Single Parents, and I guess that's it. Well, Modern Family and Fresh Off the Boat were ended their runs, um, much to the appreciation of Constance Wu. <laughs> Who can do so much now. <laughs> or maybe not, because I'm not sure that endeared her to anyone. Um, there are still some shows that are pending, such as uh, particularly their mid-season shows, like For Life, uh, the and the Baker and the Beauty, um, and then there's United We F- Fall, which we saw a screener of on the Disney Cruise Line, which never aired. So they have eight episodes in the can. I don't know what's going to happen with that. Sort of like the Magic Camp of ABC. So does anyone have any like heartbreaking thoughts or excited? Well, I'm or disappointed you know? about. Did you mention American Housewife getting renewed? American Housewife is not on my list, although it should be because it was renewed. I don't know why. That's an error. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm happy that got renewed. I'm I'm sad about Schooled for a couple of reasons. Um, it wasn't my favorite um, comedy on ABC, but I liked it enough. And I also feel like the writers of the Goldbergs are probably kind of bummed about it because 
by giving Lainey her own show, it kind of ruined their end game with Barry and Lainey on their show. And now it complicates things even more. Cause it's like, in what capacity can you bring her back without being like, well, we know that they, at least in the short term, don't end up together, you know? So I'm bummed about that part of it. Yeah. Cause it's in the, in the nineties, they're together. Well, in the show, unless right? you watch the finale, but yeah. <laughs> well, but did they break up or did she just, I didn't see it, but so I heard that. The, yeah, they got back together in the nineties and they were long distance, but then the last spoilers, by the way, in case anyone cares, um, uh, she ends up kissing CB. She has the, uh, the, What's her name? I can't. I just just blanked. Oh, Cher from Clueless. She has the moment that she realizes CB, and then the last episode is them kissing at the prom. Well, but we don't know how that ends up, right? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. So we, but we know that they like you can't give Barry like Barry meets someone new and is gonna like fall in love and marry her on the Goldbergs at this point. Exactly. And he can't go back and like finish the storyline of Lainey. Like basically, how are we gonna get the end of the Barry Lainey story? I know whether it's good or bad. It's this is I, I had the same thought. It's like they painted themselves into a corner with the spinoff, and now they're stuck. With um with the ratings for school, I'm curious to know like how low were they compared to everything else that they canceled? Where like giving it even a shorter third season? Well, I also think it's not owned by ABC, so I think that's plays. I think it's Sony. It, yeah, but they of the of the shows that they canceled, there were at least two of them that were Fox Television, which is Disney now. Um, the other thing I have to say about Schooled is the production costs had to have been lower because they're sharing set spaces with the Goldbergs, so you're not renting extra sound stages for Schooled. There's also cast crossover and probably some writing team crossover and some creative teams. So like in my mind, schooled is probably a less expensive show than any of the others that got the ax. It wasn't, I will say it wasn't my favorite of the ones they just killed off. I was a big fan of, uh, I'm drawing a blank on the name, the farm show. Oh, bless this mess. Bless this mess. Single parents. I liked when it first started. Yeah, so single parents, I really I liked when it first started, and then I felt like the format got a little stale for me. Um, but bless this mess was so funny. It had kind of elements of Shit's Creek, but it didn't feel like it was trying to copy it in any way. Um, and I I was a big fan of that one, and I'm sad to see it go. And that was a Fox twenty one or twenty one twenty first century television show, I believe. Well, what I've been hearing is that. Comedies have less value after airing these days because it used to be that, you know, you would put them on syndication and people would air them like at seven o'clock between, you know, and that's where they made their money. But now dramas have more streaming value. Like obviously like a Friends or a Seinfeld, you know, an outlier, but those sort of mid-range comedies don't have, aren't as successful. So long-term fiscally. And that, that's why those decisions were made were based on the, sort of the business side. So do you think and, the Wednesday night comedy like set aside block of time is gone? Cause one of the things um, that's very apparent with these cancellations is three of the shows were the ones that surrounded Goldberg's on Wednesday. And so they basically killed the Wednesday night lineup with the exception of the Goldberg's. I think I, my guess would be Wednesday stays comedy but then Tuesday and that Friday one-hour period aren't. 
Just because. Well, there was two hours on Tuesdays. What's that? There was two hours of comedies on Tuesdays. There was. It was right. I'm saying on Friday, there was one hour back. Uh, right. There was Fresh Off the Boat and American Housewife. So I think though I think American Housewife will stay on Wednesday. It'll be Goldberg's um, American Housewife. You know, maybe black, a blackish, and then a new show would be my guess. Well, I still have Mixedish though. Yeah, I think Mixedish might, might be coming back mid-season. They'll probably leave Shark Tank on Fridays. Yeah, I would. I would think Shark Tank and then keep 2020 at two hours. Also, before we move on, Alex was talking about how there's cast crossover between the Goldbergs and Schooled, which of course is true because it's a spinoff. But actually, if you watch enough ABC, you just see the same five faces on every <laughs> show. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, that lady's on Bless This Mess, and now she's doing a guest spot on the Goldbergs. And <laughs> she is everywhere. That There have been three separate times in the past month where uh, Fanboy has gone, isn't she on another show? And I'm like, yes, that's the neighbor on Bless This Mess, and she's in the Goldbergs and yeah she is everywhere also there's a couple like Disney families that kind of got broken up Taron Killam got cancelled well his wife Colby Smulders got renewed Kristen Bell is obviously Disney celebrity voicing Anna but her husband show uh, Bless This Mess got cancelled so you know Disney breaking up marriages um there are new shows coming. Um, normally, we would do our you know cancel renew first, can- but uh, that's kind of hard this year. Um, so there's two new shows that have been greenlit. These do not; they have not filmed pilots, <laughs> so they're just ideas at this point. But, but the first confirmed to be going to series, like they're a direct to series. Yeah, they got to series order. I mean, things happen, but yeah. So first, the drama is Big Sky. And I'm just going to read the log, the log line. From visionary storyteller David E. Kelly comes Big Sky, a thriller created by Kelly, who will write multiple episodes and serve as showrunner in its premiere season. Hashtag optimism. Private detectives Casey Dewell and Cody Hoyt join forces with his estranged wife and ex-cop Jenny Hoyt to search for two sisters who have been kidnapped by a truck driver on a remote highway in Montana. But when they discover that they're, that these are not the only girls who have disappeared in the area, they must race against the clock to stop the killer before another woman is taken. And it's based on a series of books by C.J. Box and is produced by 21, um, sorry, 20th Century Studios. Uh, the comedy is Call Your Mother. It's from Carrie Lizer with The New Adventures of Old Christine. It's a multi-camera comedy following an empty nester mom who wonders how she ended up alone while her children live their best lives though thousands of miles away. She decides her place is with her family, and as she re- reinserts herself into their lives, her kids realize they might actually need her more than they thought. And Call Your Mother is produced by Sony Pictures Television and ABC Studios. Um, that is stars Kira Sedgwick as the mom and some other people. But the one that sticks out to me is Joey Bragg from live and Maddie uh, plays presumably her son because they have the same last name. I do love Kira Sedgwick. (laughs) She got, got that right. Yeah, and and maybe the first episode of 
Falcon uh, and the Winter Falcon Soldier. Winter Soldier. Like, I could see them doing a special television event where it's either Captain America or Endgame or something leading into the premiere of uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Ooh, we love a network television premiere. I and I mean, obviously, they could they could always order more series. Disney has said that they're kind of going away from, you know, just having a typical pilot season. They'll just order it whenever they feel like it. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, you're seeing that a lot with other channels. Like CW picked up some stuff from CBS All Access. Fox picked up something from Spectrum. They're ordering Canadian series. <laughs> they can't pretty get produced either. NBC and well, no, they're picking up ones that I think have already been like popular in Canada are being imported to I think NBC picked up one I forget who else did but are they just are they recreating them like they do with anything from no, Europe? they're just airing the Canadian things kind of like fly, um during the uh during the writer strike flashpoint from Canada came to CBS hmm. so no they're just yeah they're just airing the Canadian series all right well hey one of your favorite Canadian imports uh did well on a channel that used to be the TV Guide channel. So who knows? I uh, know. I didn't realize. I had never heard of Pop Network before Shit's Creek. And then apparently it's because they just like made it up after changing its name from TV Guide. Which the only reason anybody watched TV Guide before that was for Justin Guarini's American Idol recaps. And those ended. <laughs> and not to find out what was on TV. Oh, remember that was needed. And in other news, uh, what we do in the shadows was renewed at FX. Freeform re- uh, renewed Everything's Gonna Be Okay and Motherland Fort Salem, which joins Good Trouble and Gronish, um, and basically leaves Siren as their pending show. So, um, and that Geo did a whole slew of announcements too, which we won't get into, but you can check them out on laughingplace.com. Although, this like National Geographic ABC News uh, space thing sounds kind of cool partnering together to cover the SpaceX launch. Okay, so next we're going to talk a little bit about Disney+. Plus. Uh, it's been a while since we chatted, so um, we'll pretend that uh, Disneyland goes to the World's Fair and all that other stuff has actually appeared. It Disneyland goes to the World Fair was supposed to come on Friday, and... That was this week's thing that they announced that they don't put up. Yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about is like they keep doing that. They keep saying, here's a list of everything that's coming. And then a quarter of the thing or, you know, a few of the things don't come at all. And then they'll announce other things randomly. And I'm still waiting for Barefoot Executive, which was supposed to be a launch title. I, I don't understand why, like, some things are super secret. Like, it's one thing to... Add it, add like Zenimation. Like Zenimation, we got that, and like it's under strict embargo. And you're like, why? I mean, what? I don't understand. And and they they did it like when they first did the Spark Shorts, they did like you know screeners and they had interviews. There's no press on this out short. No, they announced it a day before it came. And. Then I mean, and then they did this big streaming day thing, which they we didn't know about until I woke up at five thirty in the morning, and I was like, "Oh, here's a schedule of all their announcements," and and you know, and they did do some of the things they said they were going to do, but it just felt like, why didn't you promote this? Like, why don't you tell us before five in the morning? 
well, and their biggest push on streaming day was having somebody else stream stuff for 24 hours on YouTube, <laughs> <laughs> which was like, okay, um, go to another platform for your streaming. I turned that on for like five minutes and I'm like, this is not meant for me. I didn't turn it on at all because there's not a single like YouTube personality that I follow. And so just even the thought of like going to watch one for 24 hours of them reacting to stuff on Disney plus was not, um, anything I wanted to take part in, but, um, I mean, going back to them announcing stuff and then pulling back, it's really funny too. They'll reschedule things. So they were two Ward Kimball, um, Tomorrowland episodes from, from the fifties, uh, both of which, you know, are highly regarded and clips of them were edited into classroom production. So a lot of people who grew up from the 50s through even the mid-90s were experiencing elements of these. And when they didn't put it up, the the comments on everything else Disney Plus tweeted that day were a lot of people saying, where's Man in Space? Where's Mission to Mars? Where are these things you said were going to be here? So then they announced what's coming in June, and both of those are on there now. But another thing that's funny is the Fury Files. <laughs> and so the, the the Fury Files, it's literally a 2013 Disney XD animated short series that would run during commercial breaks. And it's basically animated Nick Fury giving like a dossier on Marvel heroes and villains. And um, it's all on YouTube. And what's funny is the first time they announced it, other other sites were picking it up like it's some new original exclusive content like Samuel Jackson is going to be involved uh, (laughs) and making a big deal out of this when it's nothing. And then it doesn't come. It doesn't come after that. And then they reschedule it and they put it on for another date. They basically send out an email that includes, you know, other things that are coming to Disney plus with that on it for a different date. And I prep the watch guide every Thursday to go up on Friday. So it's always fun for me because there's always at least one thing on Friday that they said was coming that won't come. And this is the most hilarious thing. This was two Fridays ago, and there were only two things coming. There was Maleficent Mistress of Evil, the Maleficent sequel, and there was The Fury Files for its second announced release. And The Fury Files didn't come again, because they have to leave one thing off. They couldn't just release everything they said they were going to release. But more times than not, it's a original Disneyland or Wonderful World of Color TV special. Only one of them in memory for 2020 has actually come onto the service. That was back in March, about a week before St. Patrick's Day. It was I Captured the King of the Leprechauns, which was behind the scenes of Darby O'Gill and the Little People. And it did come to Disney+. Plus. I actually took a screenshot of it, so I know exactly what artwork they used. And I put a link to it in the watch guide. And within a couple hours, it mysteriously vanished, never to be seen again on Disney+. Plus. So it's just one of those things like, this is old content, who has any kind of a rights claim to make over it? And so why is it so hard to get it up? I don't understand. They did announce um, some other content. We'll see if it actually shows up. The right stuff is moving from National Geographic to Disney Plus, you know, about astronauts. Yeah. Based, based on the Not book. Not new that, kids on the block, incidentally. Uh, uh, oh, every time. Uh, they greenlit just beyond which is based off of a graphic novel series from R.L. Stein, or as Alex likes to point out, whose name shares like the, the gimme letters and the bonus round in Wheel of Fortune, um, 
what's interesting about this is Boom Studios has a first look deal with Fox that's like about to run out, and uh, it's they're moving to Netflix. So this is like the last ditch effort to get something out of that. Um, and then Disney basically bought this movie called Clouds, which is you know a Canadian movie, probably one of those like destined for Freeform or Disney Channel, but you know kind of things. Um, it's about uh, it's a true story based on a, a musical seventeen-year-old uh, who has a rare bone cancer, um, and s- s- stars uh, Sabrina Carpenter from uh, Girl Meets World, sort of the and and Nev Campbell and Thomas Everett Scott. So uh, they picked that up, and then. Hamilton, which was supposed to come out October 2021 in theaters, is now coming June, sorry, July 3rd on Disney Plus. Um, programming note: uh, Lin Manuel Miranda's um, Freestyle Love Supreme f- documentary is coming to Hulu in June. So it's like Disney bought the whole Lin Manuel uh, experience, except into the in the Heights, which is Universal. So. Uh, anyone excited about anything coming to Disney Plus? I'm sure. I mean, that's stupid, but of course you are. Well, it's hard to but, get excited when you never know what's actually going to arrive. Yeah, got that point. I think I think I'll be more excited once there's something to see. You know, I mean, the Big Fib, for example, just came to Disney Plus yesterday, and you know they they mass dumped all 15 episodes. It's a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying the series, you know. But that's one even at the expo last year. Vet Nicole Brown, who hosts the show, hosted the expo presentation, and it was really hard to get excited for the concept of something that sounds like to tell the truth with kids because you didn't have anything to see until I actually got to look at like, okay, this is like a steampunky Jules Verne set. Um, They're kind of getting wild and crazy. They've got this fun robot MC, you know, until you actually saw it, it was hard to really get any level of excitement over it. Whereas something like, you know, Falcon and the Winter Soldier or WandaVision, you know, I know those characters. So there's a built-in excitement for it or even something that was a book artemis fowl or star girl or anything like that you know you can at least you know look into what is this and why is why should i be excited so big fib uh i enjoy that too it's just i i'm not loving this dump thing because i feel like disney plus like friday is disney plus day and there's so much to get through and 15, it's one thing if they did like six episodes of pop culture, like I can binge that 15, 15 episodes. It's like, you know, six hours of the show. I don't want to forget about it. Like, I don't want it just to disappear off my radar. Yeah. And it's also weird. Like, I think it's weird that they do it with a game show. I, I also, I will say, I think it's weird. They did it with prop culture because prop culture is the kind of thing. It would have been really fun. You can still do this, but it would have been really fun to make prop culture like a Friday evening tradition, watch prop culture and then watch the movie that episode of prop culture was about, you know, and that could have been extending out date episodes. So eight weeks, um, you know, big, big fib is a weird one because it's not really binge worthy television prop culture. I think it got easy to get hooked in and just sit and watch them all or, or, you know, 
binge them throughout the week. Um, but Big Fib, each episode is essentially the same. You know, it's like you don't want to necessarily sit and watch a day's worth of Wheel of Fortune, but you might enjoy it on a nightly basis. Um, so I think it's I think it's really strange that they chose Big Fib to just mass dump them all for. I'm curious. I mean, they don't ever release numbers like Netflix does of like who watches what individually, but I'm curious to see something like, um, shop class, you know, that was a, a game show that they released once a week, um, or even be our chef, you know, what are the, what are the numbers each successive week? I, my only assumption is there must be a significant drop off that they're seeing that they thought maybe we should try just giving people all of it and see if they actually watch the entire series versus just, you know, watch a couple and then, then forget about it. One show that they're doing week by week is uh, it's a dog's life with Bill Farmer. And would, which kind of goes to the point of like, I can't like now it's just getting confusing. Like, are you, are you dumping them or are, is it a weekly show? Um, because uh, there's nothing in the app that tells me that. Well, and I think so, what's even more confusing for, you know, all the new European locations is a lot of the original shows, they mass dumped on launch day. So, like, they had access, I think, to all of The World According to Jeff Goldblum. But they didn't do it with The Mandalorian. And a lot of international fans were mad because they already had all the spoilers ruined for them about the Mandalorian because they got to watch the U.S. react on Twitter. Um, and so, like, in the U.K., especially when, when on the launch day, a lot of the tweets I was finding to put into a, a story about the launch were people just complaining, like, why wouldn't you give us all of the season of Mandalorian when you know that we know that Baby Yoda is there and at the end of it you've got the the dark dark saber and all of that it's like we've already had all that spoiled just let us watch it i would have been really pissed if i was a european and had to wait like another three months for disney plus just saying yeah um what do you think of it's a dog's life i i think it's so cute i mean i i love dogs anyway and i watch a lot of nat geo wild type content and to me it's a dog's life if you're not already watching um nat geo wild shows it's like a marriage of something you would find from Nat Geo wild with a very Disney touch. Um, you know, Pluto pops up here and there in animated form um, for like little interstitials. To me, Bill Farmer's natural voice sounds a lot like Goofy anyway. So even just having him out there um, talking to people and, and uh, getting face kissed by dogs and stuff, you know, in some small way, it feels like goofy out there doing the stuff, just less uh, prone to trips and falls. Um, and I really, I really like it. I think it's cute. Beyond that, it's, it's edutainment, which I really like. That's a very Epcot thing. And Epcot's my favorite park. Um, so to me watching it's a dog's life, it's kind of like a little bit of Epcot storytelling coming to me each week through Disney plus, I think it peaked. I've only seen the first two episodes, but I think it peaked at the first dog, which was the whale poop sniffing dog, um, which was pretty incredible. Uh, you know, but I'm excited to see the rest of it. And I did get to interview Bill Farmer. And one of the questions I asked was if this gets a green light, you know, are you, are you looking at potentially going international? Cause they did focus just on the 50 United States, uh, for the show. I think he went to about 20 States throughout the course of the season. Um, but he said, yes, that was actually a goal he had, and it was just out of out of scope for what they were working with. Um, 
but he would actually really like to do like a Scottish Terrier in Scotland, a Yorkie in Yorkshire, um, those kinds of things um, going around Europe. Anybody have anything else they want to talk about? Um, we watched, we're on episode seven of The Last Dance. And uh, you watch the TVMA version? Yeah. So, you know, you got the strong language in there. Viewer discretion is advised, <laughs> but uh, I heeded the warning. And no, it's really enjoyable. I know I've seen uh, criticisms from a few people about how, because it's produced by Michael, that they sometimes, you know, he'll get to say something about someone. They don't really get to respond or say anything negative about him or that it's a little too also the whole thing is a lie because i do remember that he came and played for the wizards afterwards so it's not really the last dance but you know alex uh, there's and after this lance be- debuts this weekend it's two parts and then uh, b waters after that which alex saw at sundance so yeah and i will say i will say lance is very two-sided it's really interesting you know they've got recent-ish interviews with him or recent when it was when it was made i saw it back in uh january but um you know, he, he gives you his side, but then they talk to the other people. They talk to all the other racers. They especially talk to some of the other people who did and didn't go down with him. Um, and you know how it's affected their life. Uh, Lance is fascinating. I highly recommend it. It's two parts. There is a lot of TVMA language in Lance. He is a potty mouth. Um, B water is fun for the whole family. <laughs> Very interesting, uh, background on, on uh, Bruce Lee and, and uh, his kind of bringing martial arts to um, the world view really through film. It's kind of interesting because I think of Bruce Lee more as a an impact on the landscape of film. So having ESPN produce a 30 for 30 documentary on him um, from more of a sports angle was interesting, but I wasn't aware that, you know, he really popularized mar- martial arts. He had his own martial arts studios and he would train people who then spread out across the country to build their own. So, you know, wherever you are in the country, if you have a uh, karate or, or any kind of a martial arts um, teaching facility, you probably have Bruce Lee to thank for that, which is really interesting um, to learn from, from Be Water. The uh, other thing that I wanted to share, just as a little ad, is every week Nat Geo Live does these um, Facebook events. They're completely free. Um, you don't have to pay anything. And they're a live Q&A with a National Geographic Explorer, which are a lot of fun. And my favorite one was last week's. It was an Egyptologist named Kara Kuni. And I will say I hadn't really been very into like Egyptian culture or, or history before. In fact, I think because of Stargate as a kid, it really scared me i associated it with with aliens and stuff like that but her talk was so fascinating especially you know the fact that she approached it from the fact that they lived for about three thousand years with the same language same religion same governmental systems in place kind of uninterrupted for a very long time so there's a lot of history that we can call from and she was even in her talk looking at some of the times that ancient egypt had plagues or mass viruses and pandemics and how they would respond to them and you know she kind of said it can bring you a little bit of comfort to know that mankind has been through these things before and you know we're just in one again but we can kind of look to the past because history has a tendency of repeating itself and so 
because of that um, that talk with her, and you can read our recap on, on laughingplace.com, but I've since gotten into a lot of the really great content on Disney Plus from National Geographic about kind of ancient civilizations. Uh, one of them is uh, Secrets of the Lost uh, or Lost Treasures of Egypt on Disney Plus. It's a series. Each episode is a little bit different. So one is all about Cleopatra and the search for her tomb. They still haven't found it. Um, another one was produced by James Cameron, and this one was super fun. Um, you know, even if you're just a science fiction fan and not necessarily a big history buff, was the search for Atlantis, or I think it's called Finding Atlantis. Um, and basically, James Cameron is sending out some uh, some archaeologists trying to find any evidence of was Atlantis real, and if so, you know, where is it? Where would the remains be? What would we be able to see? Um, so that one was really fun as well. I, I highly recommend both of those if you're um, bored and looking for something on Disney Plus, especially if you're getting a little tired of of scripted content or anything reality based. You know, this is, I guess, more of like a docu series, and uh, they're both really great. Actual reality. Actual reality. Um, Except Atlantis, maybe, is debatable. So I just want to. Uh, Talk about some of the stuff coming to Laughing Place this week. So Wednesday, we expect, and this could change, Disney will present their plans to reopen to the uh, Orange County Economic Resort. If I said Disneyland, I meant Disney World. Disney World will present their plans to the uh, Orange County Economic Recovery Task Force. Um, so we'll cover that. We're also probably going to do a post-show on Zoom uh, where we'll talk about what the plans look like and our thoughts on Wednesday as well. Um, Mac and I will be debut our new comic review show. Uh, so we will have that. Also, don't forget Sundays and sorry, Saturdays and Tuesdays nights at 7:30 Pacific. Doobie and Gideon host their Disney Trivia Live show on YouTube. And uh, if you haven't listened to yet and you love Star Wars, or even you don't even have to love Star Wars. It's not too in the weeds. If you just like Star Wars and you want to hear people's perspectives on Star Wars of the past, present, and future. Uh, check out Who's the Boss, our Star Wars podcast hosted by Mike Celestino. So with that... Last week um, he had James Arnold Taylor, who is apparently yeah. not the same as James Taylor. <laughs> that is, that's a very important Arnold. I'm um, ready to get some Carolina in my mind, and that didn't happen out. Didn't work out. Um, I'd like to thank this week's sponsors, Microsoft Teams. Uh, we know during this uncertain time, uh, it's important to stay connected. So, thank you, Microsoft Teams. You just said you were doing a thing on Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> also, we're not on Teams. No. Just, I feel like everything is sponsored at Microsoft Teams at this point. So, you know. Microsoft Teams and Target and uh, now Disney Plus sponsoring live Microsoft TV. Teams is the new Zip Recruiter. But in any case, uh, thanks so much for listening and have a great week and happy Memorial Day. <laughs>